Chapter Twenty One of Son of Tarzan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Son of Tarzan by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Twenty One. The black boy whom Malbin had left awaiting him in the clearing with instructions to remain until he returned sat crouched at the foot of a tree for an hour when he was suddenly startled by the coughing grunt of a lion behind him. With celerity born of the fear of death, the boy clambered into the branches of the tree, and a moment later the king of beasts entered the clearing and approached the carcass of an antelope which until now the boy had not seen. Until daylight the beast fed, while the black clung sleepless to his perch, wondering what had become of his master and the two ponies. He had been with Malbin for a year, and so was fairly conversant with the character of the white. His knowledge presently led him to believe that he had been purposely abandoned. Like the balance of Malbin's followers, this boy hated his master cordially, fear being the only bond that held him to the white man. His present uncomfortable predicament but added fuel to the fires of his hatred. As the sun rose, the lion withdrew into the jungle, and the black descended from his tree and started upon his long journey back to camp. In his primitive brain revolved various fiendish plans for a revenge that he would not have the courage to put into effect when the test came and he stood face to face with one of the dominant race. A mile from the clearing he came upon the spoor of two ponies crossing his path at right angles. A cunning look entered the black's eyes. He laughed uproariously and slapped his thighs. Negroes are tireless gossipers, which, of course, is but a roundabout way of saying that they are human. Malbin's boys had been no exception to the rule, and as many of them had been with him at various times during the past ten years, there was little about his acts and life in the African wilds that was not known directly or by hearsay to them all. And so, knowing his master and many of his past deeds, knowing, too, a great deal about the plans of Malbin and Baines that had been overheard by himself or other servants, and knowing well from the gossip of the headmen that half of Malbin's party lay in camp by the great river far to the west, it was not difficult for the boy to put two and two together and arrive at four as the sum, the four being represented by a firm conviction that his master had deceived the other white man and taken the latter's woman to his western camp, leaving the other to suffer capture and punishment at the hands of the big buana whom all feared. Again the boy bared his rows of big white teeth and laughed aloud. Then he resumed his northward way, traveling at a dogged trot that ate up the miles with marvelous rapidity. In the Swede's camp the Honorable Morrison had spent an almost sleepless night of nervous apprehension and doubts and fears. Toward morning he had slept utterly exhausted. It was the headman who awoke him shortly after sunrise to remind him that they must at once take up their northward journey. Baines hung back. He wanted to wait for Hanson and Miriam. The headman urged upon him the danger that lay in loitering. The fellow knew his master's plan sufficiently well to understand that he had done something to arouse the ire of the Big Buana, and that it would fare ill with them all if they were overtaken in Big Buana's country. At the suggestion Baines took alarm. What if the Big Buana, as the headman called him, had surprised Hanson in his nefarious work? Would he not guess the truth, and possibly be already on the march to overtake and punish him? 
Baines had heard much of his host's summary method of dealing out punishment to malefactors great and small who transgressed the laws or customs of his savage little world which lay beyond the outer ramparts of what men are pleased to call frontiers. In this savage world where there was no law, the big Buona was law unto himself and all who dwelt about him. It was even rumored that he had extracted the death penalty from a white man who had maltreated a native girl. Bain shuddered at the recollection of this piece of gossip as he wondered what his host would exact of the man who had attempted to steal his young white ward. The thought brought him to his feet. Yes, he said nervously, we must get away from here at once. Do you know the trail to the north? The headman did, and he lost no time in getting the safari upon the march. It was noon when a tired and sweat-covered runner overtook the trudging little column. The man was greeted with shouts of welcome from his fellows, to whom he imparted all he knew and guessed of the actions of their master, so that the entire safari was aware of matters before Baines, who marched close to the head of the column, was reached and acquainted with the facts and the imaginings of the black boy whom Malbin had deserted in the clearing the night before. When the Honorable Morrison had listened to all that the boy had to say, and realized that the traitor had used him as a tool whereby he himself might get Miriam into his possession, his blood ran hot with rage and he trembled with apprehension for the girl's safety. That another contemplated no worse a deed than he had contemplated in no way palliated the hideousness of the other's offense. At first it did not occur to him that he would have wronged Miriam no less than he believed Hanson contemplated wronging her. Now his rage was more the rage of a man beaten at his own game and robbed of the prize that he had thought already his. "'Do you know where your master has gone?' he asked the black. "'Yes, Buona,' replied the boy. "'He has gone to the other camp beside the big Afi that flows far toward the setting sun.' "'Can you take me to him?' demanded Baines. The boy nodded affirmatively. Here he saw a method of revenging himself upon his hated Buona, and at the same time of escaping the wrath of the big Buona, whom all were positive would first follow after the northerly safari. "'Can you and I alone reach his camp?' asked the Honorable Morrison. "'Yes, Buona,' assured the black. Baines turned toward the headman. He was conversant with Hanson's plans now. He understood why he had wished to move the northern camp as far as possible toward the northern boundary of the Big Buona's country. It would give him far more time to make his escape toward the west coast while the Big Buona was chasing the northern contingent. Well, he would utilize the man's plans to his own end. He too must keep out of the clutches of his host. "'You may take the men north as fast as possible,' he said to the headman. "'I shall return and attempt to lead the Big Buona to the west.' The negro assented with a grunt. He had no desire to follow this strange white man who was afraid at night. He had less to remain at the tender mercies of the big Buona's lusty warriors, between whom and his people there was long-standing blood feud, and he was more than delighted into the bargain for a legitimate excuse for deserting his much-hated Swede master. He knew a way to the north and his own country that the white men did not know, a shortcut across an arid plateau where lay water-holes of which the white hunters and explorers that had passed from time to time the fringe of the dry country had never dreamed. 
He might even elude the big Buana should he follow them, and with this thought uppermost in his mind he gathered the remnants of Malbin's safari into a semblance of order and moved off toward the north. And toward the southwest the black boy led the Honorable Morrison Baines into the jungles. Korak had waited about the camp, watching the Honorable Morrison, until the safari had started north, then assured that the young Englishman was going in the wrong direction to meet Miriam, he had abandoned him and returned slowly to the point where he had seen the girl, for whom his heart yearned, in the arms of another. So great had been his happiness at seeing Miriam alive, that for the instant no thought of jealousy had entered his mind. Later these thoughts had come, dark, bloody thoughts that would have made the flesh of the Honorable Morrison creep could he have guessed that they were revolving in the brain of a savage creature creeping stealthily among the branches of the forest giant beneath which he waited the coming of Hanson and the girl. And with passing of the hours had come subdued reflection in which he had weighed himself against the trimly clad English gentleman and found that he was wanting. What had he to offer her by comparison with that which the other man might offer? What was his mess of pottage to the birthright that the other had preserved? How could he dare go naked and unkempt to that fair thing who had once been his jungle fellow and propose the thing that had been in his mind when first the realization of his love had swept over him? He shuddered as he thought of the irreparable wrong that his love would have done the innocent child but for the chance that had snatched her from him before it was too late. Doubtless she knew now the horror that had been in his mind. Doubtless she hated and loathed him, as he hated and loathed himself when he let his mind dwell upon it. He had lost her. No more surely had she been lost when he thought her dead than she was in reality now that he had seen her living, living in the guise of a refinement that had transfigured and sanctified her. He had loved her before. Now he worshipped her. He knew that he might never possess her now, but at least he might see her. From a distance he might look upon her. Perhaps he might serve her, but never must she guess that he had found her or that he lived. He wondered if she ever thought of him, if the happy days that they had spent together never recurred to her mind. It seemed unbelievable that such could be the case, and yet, too, it seemed almost equally unbelievable that this beautiful girl was the same disheveled, half-naked little sprite who skipped nimbly among the branches of the trees as they ran and played in the lazy, happy days of the past. It could not be that her memory held more of the past than did her new appearance. It was a sad Korak who ranged the jungle near the plain's edge, waiting for the coming of his Miriam, the Miriam who never came. But there came another, a tall, broad-shouldered man in khaki at the head of a swarthy crew of ebon warriors. The man's face was set in hard, stern lines, and the marks of sorrow were writ deep about his mouth and eyes, so deep that the set expression of rage upon his features could not obliterate them. Korak saw the man pass beneath him where he hid in the great tree that had harbored him before upon the edge of that fateful little clearing. He saw him come, and he sat rigid and frozen and suffering above him. He saw him search the ground with his keen eyes, 
and he only sat there watching with eyes that glazed from the intensity of his gaze. He saw him sign to his men that he had come upon that which he sought, and he saw him pass out of sight toward the north, and still Korak sat like a graven image, with a heart that bled in dumb misery. An hour later Korak moved slowly away, back into the jungle toward the west. He went listlessly, with bent head and stooped shoulders, like an old man who bore upon his back the weight of a great sorrow. Baines, following his black guide, battled his way through the dense underbrush, riding stooped low over his horse's neck, or often he dismounted where the low branches swept too close to earth to permit him to remain in the saddle. The black was taking him the shortest way, which was no way at all for a horseman, and after the first day's march the young Englishman was forced to abandon his mount and follow his nimble guide entirely on foot. During the long hours of marching the Honorable Morrison had much time to devote to thought, and as he pictured the probable fate of Miriam at the hands of the Swede, his rage against the man became the greater. But presently there came to him a realization of the fact that his own base plans had led the girl into this terrible predicament, and that even had she escaped Hanson she would have found but little better deserts awaiting her with him. There came, too, the realization that Miriam was infinitely more precious to him than he had imagined. For the first time he commenced to compare her with other women of his acquaintance, women of birth and position, and almost to his surprise he discovered that the young Arab girl suffered less than they by the comparison. And then from hating Hanson he came to look upon himself with hate and loathing, to see himself and his perfidious act in all their contemptible hideousness. Thus, in the crucible of shame, amidst the white heat of naked truths, the passion that the man had felt for the girl he had considered his social inferior was transmuted into love. And as he staggered on, there burned within him, beside his newborn love, another great passion, the passion of hate urging him on to the consummation of revenge. A creature of ease and luxury, he had never been subjected to the hardships and tortures which now were his constant companionship, yet his clothing torn, his flesh scratched and bleeding, he urged the black to greater speed, though with every dozen steps he himself fell from exhaustion. It was revenge which kept him going, that and a feeling that in his suffering he was partially expiating the great wrong he had done the girl he loved for hope of saving her from the fate into which he had trapped her had never existed too late too late was the dismal accompaniment of thought to which he marched too late too late to save but not too late to avenge that kept him up only when it became too dark to see would he permit of a halt a dozen times in the afternoon he had threatened the black with instant death when the tired guide insisted upon resting. The fellow was terrified. He could not understand the remarkable change that had so suddenly come over the white man, who had been afraid in the dark the night before. He would have deserted this terrifying master had he had the opportunity, but Baines guessed that some such thought might be in the other's mind, and so gave the fellow none. He kept close to him by day, and slept touching him at night in the rude thorn boma they constructed as a slight protection against prowling carnivora. 
that the Honorable Morrison could sleep at all in the midst of the savage jungle was sufficient indication that he had changed considerably in the past twenty-four hours, and that he could lie close beside a non-too-fragrant black man spoke of possibilities for democracy within him yet all undreamed of. Morning found him stiff and lame and sore, but none the less determined to push on in pursuit of Hanson as rapidly as possible. With his rifle he brought down a buck at a ford in a small stream shortly after they broke camp, breakfastless. Begrudgingly he permitted a halt while they cooked and ate, and then on again through the wilderness of trees and vines and underbrush. And in the meantime Korak wandered slowly westward, coming upon the trail of Tantor the elephant, whom he overtook browsing in the deep shade of the jungle. The ape-man, lonely and sorrowing, was glad of the companionship of his huge friend. Affectionately the sinuous trunk encircled him, and he was swung to the mighty back where so often before he had lulled and dreamed the long afternoon away. Far to the north the big Buana and his black warriors clung tenaciously to the trail of the fleeing safari that was luring them further and further from the girl they sought to save while back at the bungalow the woman who had loved Miriam as though she had been her own waited impatiently and in sorrow for the return of the rescuing party and the girl she was positive her invincible lord and master would bring back with him. End of chapter 21